and welcome to World and Union Balls Ali's weekly rugby show with me, Mick McCarthy, alongside, as always, Morris Brosnan. Um, we've got a packed show for you today because we are just a week out from uh, the return of the Six Nations, Ireland versus France, for a play place next Sunday in the Aviva Stadium. But there's a lot of rugby news happening um, outside of the game itself um, over the last uh, couple of days because World Rugby um, have launched the uh, have announced their plans for a World Rugby League. We're going to talk to uh, New Zealand rugby writer Paul Baines, who's been writing about this, about what exactly is the reasoning for it. Does it all come down to money? Hint, yes. And is that money enough to actually do what World Rugby really wanted to do? So a very interesting topic. We'll talk to Paul in just a few minutes. Lots more as well. We'll talk a little bit about how the Irish teams got on in the Pro 14 over the weekend. And we will um, pick our team, for, for pick our Ireland team uh, for the France game. Have you any kind of surprises without spoiling it in there? Yeah, two. Two surprises. Okay, cool. This is, again, the team that Morris would like to see Joe Schmidt exactly, pick, yeah. not not a prediction of what the team will be when it is named on Friday, I presume. Um, Paul Baines, we're going to talk to him in a few minutes. We're going to set this up because people like me, who I'm reading it a little bit here and there, and all I'm seeing is the outrage. I'm actually, I, it's like I missed the day one of the story. Yeah. What exactly is this proposed World League? So I guess like to go back to the very start, World Rugby has always spoken about the idea that international rugby probably isn't as profitable as it needs to be. So you've seen cases in Australia, definitely, probably South Africa as well, New Zealand to a certain extent, where they're concerned about the financial revenue that they have. Some of them are running at massive deficits and they're trying to look at ways they can address this. So the idea, the problem, one of the main problems that this leaked in the New Zealand Herald last Thursday, which is your first problem, that you don't have any clarity around it. That's what happens if you have a meeting and you don't issue any proposals or you try and keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. It's and this is why where Ruby has since called an emergency meeting yeah, and exactly. Bill Beaumont is kind of out doing a PR exercise Spin, trying yeah. to explain it to everybody yeah. properly. Yeah. So essentially the proposal was that after the 2020 World Cup that it would become a 12-tournament ring fence world league where you'd have games played in november june july you would get rid of november internationals and the june tests the summer yeah. tests the six nations would still go on it would have something to do in terms of your ranking within this tournament but for the sake of clarity it's six nation teams it's the rugby championship and it's usa and japan that's the 12 that they're going to include in that yeah so the biggest flaw within that 12 straight off the bat is the fact that you're omitting pacific island all three pacific island nations including somebody like fiji who's ranked above like they're in the top 10 right now they just beat france last year they aren't included they probably have more potential rugby wise mm. compared to somebody like usa who just lost argentina last week or to uruguay last week but the usa and this is the i mean as you pretty much this is the massive this is the big thing usa is, is way bigger commercially and that's why japan there's a lot has that potential that. as yeah, well exactly yeah. so there's huge proposals there so the idea is that of this, they think that we could be able to generate an extra nine million. That's just through broadcasting, so that would come back and help all of these nations. But in terms of, like, if you were to make a hierarchy of issues with this, in terms of player welfare-wise, in terms of the promotion of rugby, and the, you know, not only the promotion, promotion is kind of a weird word, but in terms of the preservation, like, you will preserve a certain tier, but you will omit countries who will eventually lose focus and because of the losing focus the national interest will dwindle and if it dwindles the game becomes weaker that's just a fact yeah. so the the sheer amount of flaws now they have come out since uh, in certain areas Brett Gosper has come out and said this wasn't some of the leaks were inaccurate and that they were looking at maybe inclusions based off merit and they've called a, as you mentioned they've called an emergency meeting based mm. off that but it, like from a you multivariate it's not just down to one factor there's several reasons why this is a really kind of poorly laid out and kind of detrimental move before we of kind of talk about some of the other problems because there are and there's serious issues and we'll talk about the pacific nations right specifically uh, pacific nations specifically <laughs> i said it right i'm proud of myself okay um what is the what would be the tournament so it's 12 teams played over this over the course of two windows yeah in a year do you play you don't play 11 games no so you would play you would play half the teams so okay. you were talking about so but what and then that, is there a final or something exactly okay. so, so what that potentially sets up because of that is that you could have five games in november back to back including a semi-final and a final if yeah. you, it was to come to that that's why where player welfare has been so johnny sexton on Farrell and kinreed all came out immediately against this yeah now they're representing the union of, of, of rugby, rugby players, players yeah. exactly so their concern primarily is down to player welfare. So they, 
I mean, as Kieran Reid outlined, there's possible two outcomes from this. Either you get squads bloated to 50-odd people to, you know, essentially be able to field for this mm. respectively. Or the alternative is that you get players with way less quality gains because players are just absolutely fatigued after. So the Six Nations still exist. The Rugby Championship still exists. The World Cup still exists. And the lines still exist within all of this. You're just yeah. adding this in. More competitive games on top of that. I, I, to be honest, I don't see how you shoehorn the lines in I mean, the lines well. look like I think yeah. the World Cup becomes a like a, a farce. Really, what's what's the point in that if you've got the twelve best nations have already playing every single year? Does the World Cup become kind of a byproduct where it doesn't really matter? That, that which is the yeah. likely scenario, especially if like the, it's that old thing, you know, follow the money. Like if the World Rugby League, as it was proposed, was to become this commercial giant that they hope it would to be, it would dwarf everything else. That's just the manner of the games. And I think you know, the people who really should be paid heed to like the Georgian rugby president came out on Monday yesterday and he was really forceful in so he no, like some of it maybe I wonder about his language like he talked about a lot of look staring down their noses and you know this kind of retrograde elites that have made this move but he did say that in 2016 they were promised that they would play a tier one nation twice a year so between 2007 and 2011 or sorry between 2011 and 2017 they played five times ever played mm. a tier one nation so they were promise because that's the only way you're going to grow the game is through money and the only way you can grow the money or develop money is games that's what georgia need so but georgia were promised one and one of those games would be at home and now a proposal has leaked where after 2020 they would get no games against yeah. tier one nations and the the consequence of that what it would do for them so that's something that um, viewers should pay attention to because he's also promised that the tier two nations as a unity will issue a no a joint statement yeah. which would be very interesting because and could possibly come out with a legal challenge because I, I do question they did this in cricket right so I'm, I might ask Paul a little bit about this the ICC Champions Trophy that came out which basically was the, the worry was it would make the World Cup kind of redundant and they're doing everything in their power in the World Cup to keep the, <laughs> to keep the Ireland's of, of the world out as well but you know that that was um, challenged but you know to have this just set tournament every year or two years or whatever where it, it doesn't matter whether you're any good or not it's the big money countries are going to be in there you know so um that was done but i do so there is precedent there in sport but i do wonder if like is there anything you can do as a legal challenge if fiji are better than the usa how can this be legal forced on them yeah. you know and and I, i'm not 100 percent sure on this but World Rugby are based in Ireland, and I wonder, does this ultimately come under Irish law? And you so, know, and I yeah. would wonder about Irish monopoly law and how this works. And it's actually wor- it's something we might actually have a look at even and have an answer for you on next week. But I, like on the Ireland perspective in this, so like Irish players have come out and spoken against this from a player welfare perspective. They're concerned, they're in the bubble. Their concern is never going to be on the development of the game or on tier two nations or lower tier nations and for that matter. Like they're, so they're totally entitled to that. But Irish rugby itself, I mean, Irish rugby has played one lower tier nation in the last, what, three years? They, they, so they don't they've no as little interest in this as others it's been reported that the six nations were the team the union that were against the idea of relegation and promotion that they were the like the idea of ring get like the six nations it's like don't forget benjamin modell who's the head of the six nations the chief executive on february on the day his first media appearance after he took the chief executive role the first thing he said was we're happy with what we, we have and he shot down the idea of a georgia playoff straight away so he was in the, the, their their idea or their motivation is absolutely not to grow the game and that is like ultimately that's what it's going to come down to which is why it's so like farcical to cut off the way the game that they I think want to but it's also like we'll talk specifically to Paul about the money okay because that is obviously the reason for doing this but as we will talk about money isn't even life changing yeah it ultimately is coming to possibly a power grab between the unions and international rugby versus the money and the control that's in club rugby at the moment and and that's understandable but what i don't understand is how an organization like world rugby can ever justify cutting off places potential areas of growth in the game and if you have fiji samoa tonga whoever it might be georgia a really good example Uruguay have been really really strong on yeah. this as a, as a as a growing country but even even some of the European countries you know that are trying to gain and make that breakthrough like Spain and Germany you know they are basically being told 
there's no room for you here. I don't care what you do. Yeah. You know, um, it, the, and, and actually, it's not about Germany and Spain because it would room would be made for them if they came through. It's about the countries that can never develop into a commercial Giant, entity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't mean... This sounds so naive and pathetic, but this is sport. It's... it's World Rugby I'm, is a non-profit organisation that runs a sport. How can it justify saying, we have our 12, nobody else is welcome? And on top of that, by the way... The, the, we had, sorry, I, I, I just want to interrupt and bring back cricket again, because I we were part of... I worked on, off the ball, we were part of campaigns about getting unfairness and letting Ireland in, and suddenly everybody in the country was a massive cricket fan, even though they don't watch it normally, because fair is fair, and this team were good enough. And we were on our high horse about it. And now suddenly the shoe's on the other foot and we're part of this elite keeping people out and it's it's really pathetic like and so on that that's a really important team i think if for any rugby fans out there like the that the message the people that you should be listening to this isn't where rugby scrambling and talking about trying to put, put up fires it's people like daniel leo who's called, he's suggested that a strike should be on the cards for he's the world a cup Samoan player former Samoan yeah. rugby player yeah who i think we're going to be talking to, to Hope, yeah soon, so yeah. Um, we will like ideally we will definitely try and represent their voices and try and get some of those because the point what they're trying to make the point they're making is that this will kill their game like already they're being pillaged by other nations who come in at the schools level and attract them abroad because they don't have the economy or the resources to keep them at home. And now can you imagine the players that do persevere, who want to represent their country internationally, won't even have a chance to do it at any sort of competitive level, any sort of fair level. Like these are teams who will be dwindling, holding out for a World Cup every four years. So the consequence of that is you'll get situations where it'll be like France would play New Zealand and it'll be Pacific Islanders playing against Pacific Islanders representing both because they weren't given any sort of chance within their own right. You could argue they're not getting much of a chance anyway, but it's kind of one or two games a year and that's not good enough. It's not even that that it's, it's that that's been taken away is... It's it's not even just that. It's so much so that it's not even been... It's not the priority to improve it. Yeah. You know, in any way. So, look, I mean, there's a lot of... Joan, uh, you know I will ask you a straightforward question. The players are against it. The, uh, the, it's incredibly unfair on um, everybody involved. What's the constituency for it? Because I don't think... We can... I, I'm given out about, like, you know, Ireland being a part of this, but I don't think Irish fans are a part of this. I don't think there's any real desire for it. I think they're happy enough with the kind of international structure as it is. So there must be some positives to this. I mean, like, would it be a good tournament I mean, see, like, from like, your sport I'm point sure, of view? I'm, like, there, there are positives in theory. There are positives to the idea of com- making, uh, you know, where will be more competitive if you get rid of, like some of these games can feel like friendlies in terms of the test windows. So if you could increase that kind of competition, you would probably increase the entertainment value. You'd get more chances to see Ireland play South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, all that stuff is, there's, there's, I mean, to a certain extent, there's money products of that. My fear, and I think this is definitely going to happen, is it will dilute everything else, so the Six Nations yes. becomes less of a relevant... I was literally about to say the same reference. thing, yeah. There's a, like, just as a, a final point on this, there's, there's also a fact that right now, we're, we are scrambling to kind of cover our highs on this. At the same time, last weekend, Pat Lambie spoke about the absolute horror he went through for three years because of concussion protocols. Uh, Dupree, the Montpellier South African, spoke about not being able to... Dr- he was in the did an interview with the Sunday Times on Sunday where he spoke about his abuse of painkillers. He wasn't able to drive to training without cramping up his arm under pillows. He'd painkillers, he'd pins and needles through his fingers, but he still played. And instead of trying to combat real serious issues in what is an inherently dangerous game, they're trying to make more money for it. And five test matches in a row in November, which is just... just, obscene. Yeah, Yeah. like impossible, really. You see what the Six Nations does with five and seven weeks. And... You know, it, it's borderline impossible. Look, we'll uh, we'll talk more about it with, with Paul Baines, as said, um, uh, New Zealand rugby writer, in a couple of minutes. Um, briefly on this week, and um, Ulster had a good win against the Dragons. Uh, Leinster, not incredibly impressive against uh, the Cheetahs, nineteen seven, the RDS. But uh, the two results I wanted to stop on: Connacht forty six, the Ospreys five, and Scarlets ten, Munster six, played in the most. Unbelievable! You thought like rugby's more able for it than GEA is, but that was unplayable on on, on Saturday. But Scarlets were bloody delighted with that result. Like they were absolutely the, the celebrations at the end, like as if they just won a Heineken Cup quarter final or something. But Munster could have done with that win for home semi final. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose like the like, it's it's kind of an unfair point to make. And I know people have kind of have 
battle artists when we said this before but Munster really do need to organise some sort of attacking framework because it's just not there at the minute and too many low like, scoring games yeah, like that yeah. but even a bit like this is really simple stuff like the the knock on at the end I was kind of looking at that and I was wondering is that was that an issue like was it a wrong play call and it's actually it's you're looking beyond that like it's the idea that when they're coming around the corner there they're always predictable about about everything it's one platform the only time they did come close to scoring the try was when Kevin O'Byrne was pulled for the TMO pulled it off because he was obstructing but it was from a mall from a lineup which is just typical because they don't seem to have enough expansion with them I know the conditions don't help that but I they were really bad conditions I, absolutely you know, but yeah. I, ju- I do I would argue that that is part of a overall team that made yeah, the side of yeah. um, The Connacht result is is incredible. Uh, we've we've championed Connacht, or I've certainly have championed Connacht a lot on this show. But the it's funny when Connacht have a result like that. The first thing you see is conversations in Wales about the future of the Ospreys, and I'm not saying they're not justified. It's just it's like Connacht connect. It's you get you get a reputation almost, and it's like getting a hammering off Connacht is the final straw. Yeah, you know, but they're good enough to give you a hammering now. Like, and that that wasn't always the case. Absolutely, and especially if you watch this style, like the the brand of rugby they can play. I a couple of weeks ago, I kind of made a point about Jack Carty becoming this kind of kicking off the cuff, and I didn't mean to like box him off as being just that because as you saw the week, I know he wasn't playing at the weekend. Kyle Goodwin stood in a ten, but even the the try where Peter Robb makes the break to the center and this it's such a gorgeous offload to Farrell who feeds after Marion. Like it's it's back to the kind of the Pat Lamb esque rugby that mm. sometimes it's like oh they're totally different, but at times they show their capabilities. They still do both, and yeah. that's like as we keep going back to it. That's such a strength of Irish rugby that all of those Irish players who were involved in the Irish camp come back like Caelan Blade. Um, Jack Arthur wasn't playing, but he'd probably be on the bench this weekend. Ulton Delan and Quinn Rue, I thought were both really, really good. Tom Farrell looks, I mean, the whatever it is about the kind of national recognition he's finally getting, it seems to be thriving under it. Like the that is is a major strength. It's something that I think is is kind of important to see, and maybe that's something that like Munster could maybe expect their second tier players to start kind of carrying the slack the way that Connacht seems Connacht, to be. Yeah, are you confident they can continue it on after the break? I would. Yeah, I mean, I, I, they, there's no justifiable reason to say that they can't like their yeah. their frameworks do their in terms of their ability to keep squads um fit, fit and healthy like that's major and that's you know a lot of that is just down to luck but it's still standing to it's them. coming at a bad time though isn't it they could like their their confidence would be so high they don't want three weeks without a game now yeah i know but yeah. It, it, it's a pity in some ways but um did you see um a couple of weeks ago there was a game i think spain when it was a tier two international anyway where there was uh, a 99 yard kick to touch yeah, from the is. try line to the end and i remember the commentary saying you'll never see another kick like this again in <laughs> rugby and then we saw it again in the connacht match i don't think it was quite 99 yards this time but not too far it's, off uh, but like, and the, the versatility of people like kyle goodwin has been a major plus this year like he's a guy when players when particularly in the challenge cup he constantly stood in so he stood in at like 12 13 he stood in the wing at one stage he's playing at 10 at the weekend that's kind of like again just going back to another major strength of rugby and it's also it's about like sometimes I, w- and I wonder about this in, in regards to Munster like, like Connacht are a team that are really thrive at keeping it simple when they have to and it's I think it's a, something that we'll kind of see a return to in rugby I watched the Crusaders game on Saturday and Crusaders in the second half noticed that the Reds weren't jumping in the lineups. So after the next two lineups, they scored a try off one of them. They just didn't put up a jumper. They just threw it straight in because if they weren't going to compete against it, why exert energy trying to get a lifter up into the yeah. air? So just a really simple thing, and then therefore you your model forms quicker. So that's how they scored their try. Just didn't put up a jumper. Just threw it because they if Reds weren't going to challenge. And yeah. some, like sometimes I wonder are, are teams guilty of kind of overcomplicating it? Are, are 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 we thinking on our feet? And I suppose you immediately at this time of year think about the Irish team. And yeah, exactly. The conversation we'll have in a few minutes. We'll talk about the the Ireland match against France at the weekend we'll talk about the other Six Nations games but I do want to turn back to the proposed World League um, just for a few minutes I'm delighted to say that we've got uh, Paul Baines um, he's at Driving Mall on Twitter you might have seen some of his stuff he's a rugby writer in New Zealand and he's written a brilliant piece called Is the World League Worth It on uh, therunnersports.com Paul you're very welcome to the show Thank you very much for having me Great to join you well, thank, thanks for being with us, because this is something that me and Morris have got very vexed about already, and people will will have listened to us, and, you know, we're, we're spouting all kinds of uh, bile about this uh, this proposal. Um, what was your thoughts on it when you seen it, when you seen it come out in the in the New Zealand Herald last week? I, it's um, pretty much the same as I think what a lot of people have said is it, there has to be promotion relegation. We can't be ring fencing. Uh, that was bad, um, which, which, which immediately jumps out. You've then got the the kind of how they're going to fit extra extra games in because that's going to 
um, around if, if, if they're going to have it finishing in November uh, and they want to have playoffs and they're going to have a couple of extra weekends into the European club uh, season, which is going to cause some, some, some nice issues. Uh, and then there's player, player welfare. Uh, admittedly, you, 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 Johnny Sexton's come out and talked about the five games back to back, but then there's also the games when they come down to play the Southern Hemisphere. If you're going to try and play uh, Japan, Australia and New Zealand, the amount of travel is an awful lot more than playing Wales, Scotland, Ireland in three weekends. So th- those are the three things that jumped out at me. And then I had a quick dig in to say, okay, look, do the numbers add up anyway. Is this really going to solve things? Yeah, so that, that and that's ultimately the, the nub of your piece, which is which is really worth reading. We'll tweet out a link to it. As I said, it's on the runnersports.com. But like, it's aside from, you know, where rugby will eventually come out with a proposal, be it this or be it something else, and it will be about um, it'll be about having competitive games and not friendlies, and that'll be the headline. But ultimately, we all know that this is comes down to money, and it comes down to the fact that. Rugby unions, as you point out, the, the the sponsorship deal for the for the Six Nations is a lot lower than it was the previous one. The um the New Zealand, South Africa, and Australia look like they're going to be running losses and really struggling financially after the next World Cup. This all comes down to the fact that international rugby and the rugby unions, as opposed to the clubs, need to generate more money. But you've dug into that a little bit and found out that really the amount of money they're getting from this new proposal isn't really going to make all that much difference. No, I don't think so. I mean, well, again, it comes down to everything we've heard so far, let's be honest, is rumour and hearsay. So uh, if, you, if, you, if you read some articles, it's between 10 and $14 million. Now, is that New Zealand dollars? Is that USA dollars? Is that whatever? So um, the initial article I, wrote, I read was, was, was New Zealand dollars. So I've worked off that, basically. Um, and at the end of the day, what we're talking about here is about the same amount of money as a the salary cap of one uh, Gallagher Premiership team. Now, the problem with that is there's 12 Gallagher Premiership teams and there's 14 um, uh, teams over in France, uh, plus there's the Pro Div 2, which pays pretty decent wages as well. So it is really adding the, the salary cap of one team to every uh, union going to change their world now it's going to change the world of, uh, of of someone like Fiji don't get me wrong I mean that's going to what triple their double or triple their their their, their revenue but for New Zealand that's much more like a five percent difference which isn't really that much mm. what do you think it says about the unions themselves that it seems to be particularly the Six Nations that it seems to be the idea that they're a lot more pushing for this now compared to say when the initial proposal was coming out in 2016 that something was going to happen after the 2020 World Cup um, I think that the, the it is interesting about that about the the sponsorship deal in the Six Nations is now um, way down, uh, it, it, but it's not just there, is it? You've also got the the European Rugby Champions Cup was supposed sorry the European yeah that's right European Rugby Champions Cup was supposed to have like was it three or five sponsors yeah. something like that, um, and they've only got one, uh, and you, you can't imagine that that one is paying anywhere near top dollar. So um, what they were the, paying before. Or what they were paying before for the Heineken Cup. No, exactly. So the, the the amount of money coming into the game is not what everyone predicted. I mean, you can just see, I mean, already uh, you've had the um, RFU sack 64 people, I think it was, last year. Sorry, make redundant, not sack. Let's be nice. Let's be, um, <laughs> use the right terminology. Um, uh, because they basically uh, have, have got a lot less cash coming in than they expected. So I think... All of the unions up in uh, up in Europe uh, have they've, they've projected X amount of sponsorship. Now, whether that's Six Nations sponsorship or whether that's shirt deals or whatever, um, and they found actually that the the markets are a lot softer than they than they expected, and they're all got lost less cash coming in than they than they than they predicted. I suppose I, I, what I fail to understand in this, and it, it's probably naivety in a way, is that we're in the middle of the Six Nations and you see the way Wales, the Cardiff was rocking for um, the England game a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we've seen, obviously, the way Dublin was for the New Zealand game. We've seen what New Zealand was like when the Lions were there. And we know that to rugby fans all around the world in all of these um, top-tier countries as that are, are trying to be protected here, that international rugby is the be-all and end-all. It's what brings in the, mo- it brings in the fans. What I fail to understand is how... The club game, which is nowhere near as popular and doesn't bring in the same amount of uh, people through the gates, at least, 
generates seemingly so much more money than the international game. Does it generate it or do you just spend it? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So that, if, if it is just a case of spending it, then surely it's not sustainable. And, you know, this is a short-term problem, if you know what I mean. It is. Um, but I think the... So the reason I think that that's, that's sort of put a, a rocket under this suddenly over the last three or four weeks um, is the this venture capitalist group, CVC. Now, they've walked in and obviously give... And, have already got done a deal with Gallica Premiership um, to give them a bunch of cash. Now, I'm a bit worried that basically all they're going to do there is spend is um, is just spend it on player wages and just just burn it away. Um, so we'll see what what happens with that one. But that that that's yeah, I, I just don't trust that the Gallica that outside of extra chiefs they all make a loss and they're going to continue making a loss. Now the next stage is that CVC is apparently talking to Six Nations and the Pro 14. Now if they Get their if if they get um, some sort of ownership in those two as well, then it all become then it all becomes like okay, is Europe really going to suddenly change the landscape or and just ignore world rugby? Uh, and so I think world rugby is scrambling to get or world rugby is in the New Zealand or the Sanzar countries are, are scrambling to get something in place before CVC get, buys up the Six Nations and the Pro Fourteen, which would then basically shut them out. Paul, I think when the initial proposal leaked, the a lot of it was why this was a bad thing and you kind of delved into the reason that it actually was proposed in the first place. And I'm wondering, from your own perspective, is there a potential solution that would satisfy this financial demand that rugby unions now found themselves in while also satisfying kind of the progression and development of rugby as a whole? Um, <laughs> Tough question. <laughs> <laughs> Fix it all for us, Paul, will you? <laughs> <laughs> Simple answer? No, probably not. Um, I, I think there's also, I, I think Augustin Pichot is what wants to have a fight with the clubs. I think he wants to get. Uh, the, look, at the moment, the vast majority of the money, is, as we say, is is raised by the international game, um, and the RFU gives a whole bunch of that back to the clubs to be able to try and keep them afloat and not totally sink. So, why is the tail wagging the dog? Why is the bit that's spending all the money? Um, telling the bit that earns all the money what to do. Now, I mean, there's, a, there's an exception in France, obviously, with the clubs there, but the that's, uh, um, but even so, the French rugby union still gives the French clubs a lot of cash. So I think there's an element here of also trying to wrestle back control. Um, the uh, so, so I think Augustin Pichot would like to go to war with the clubs. Um, I'm not sure that he has the rest of the world rugby behind him wanting to do the same sort of thing. So I think he's... So I think there's an element of that in there. There's a bit of conflict in world rugby at the moment as to how much do we try and fight with the clubs and how much do we try and work with the clubs. Um, and I think we're seeing that come through as well. They're not talking with one voice. But no, I, I think we, unless you get to the Irish model where you get some sort of central control, um, I can't see how the, the English model ever is financially viable. It's very interesting you bring up P-Show there because as I said, in the in the kind of... As I was saying to Morris, it was like the original news almost kind of passed by and what what came out was the outrage that followed. And within that outrage, I've seen a lot of people pointing to P-Show as somebody who like, was almost talked about as having betrayed the likes of Uruguay, like the neighbour in Argentina and, and, and Georgia and the lower, the lower nations as being someone who went, you know, made deals with them, talked to them about how they were going to be part of this and ultimately then looked to close them out. But, you know, we were talking earlier like that, that not, ne- not isn't necessarily the, um, what's actually happening here is that, you know, what's being proposed or what was leaked may just be one of many proposals. Yeah, I don't think it's the final one, but I, and and something we talked about just before uh, in our kind of pre-show chat was that it's interesting where it got leaked. It, this, this didn't come out through the Daily Mail, which a lot of things are being leaked through all the times. Uh, this came out through New, New Zealand Herald, um, so it came out in the middle of the night when Europe was asleep, um, when Dublin wasn't ready. Uh, so World Rugby in Dublin wasn't ready to react. It had an awful lot of um, momentum when they woke up already um, and they just, yeah, they walked into a, uh, a firestorm. Now they've, they've brought this on themselves to be honest, because they've run a very, an opaque process behind closed doors. Mm. Um, and if you do that, you're opening yourself up to self-interest leaks and rumors. And what I think we've got here is a self-interest leak 
that someone has gone, I don't like where this is going, therefore I'm going to leak it and get public opinion on, on my side. Now, this is all conjecture, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was New Zealand rugby as it came out in New Zealand. Um, okay. So you see you've got countries like New Zealand, Australia, um, also got a lot of flack saying, oh, they've gone and their neighbours, they've gone and uh, sold them down the street and they've come out very quickly and said, no, 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 we don't, uh, we don't, we don't endorse this, this solution. We've obviously had Augustin Pichot come out and say, I don't endorse this solution. We've had Beaumont, we've had, um, oh, who's the CEO? I've gone blank now. Um, true, yeah. Yeah. Um, come out. Um, and they've all, they've all kind of said they don't, they don't, they don't support this. So yeah, it's very quickly, it's very interesting who has, who's talked and who's stayed silent. Cause I don't think any of the, I don't think any of the Six Nation countries have said anything. A strategic, officially. A strategic leak at the right time will actually, um, as we've known politics for a long, long time, will actually crush an idea, I suppose, at the source. Yeah. So, uh, there's, so yeah, I think there's that, there's, 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 there's that going on. There's, and there's also an interesting um, uh, dynamic going on in, the, in, in England at the moment as well, because there's, there's been a couple of recent articles come out in favour of ring fencing. Um that have cherry picked some facts. They've gone, oh look, Ireland does well with the um, with ring fencing. They and so do Wales internationally. Um, and uh, and look 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 how Ireland do in the European Rugby Champions Cup. Uh, but they cherry pick the ring fencing and they ignore all of the sort of resting of players, the control as to um, in Ireland you can only have one foreign player per position, um, and all these other rules. They just go, oh yes, it must be ring fencing. It can't have anything to do with anything else. So that that'll fix English woes. It's like, geez, no. So there's, there's there's a lot of stuff going on uh, at the moment, and I think a few paid for articles maybe here and there. <laughs> yeah. To, to to go back to the the lower tiers for uh, for a minute, like the the idea of this proposal is surely to assist in terms of the established um, tiers for their income. And I'm wondering for the likes of Georgia who've come out uh, since and have kind of publicly said that we need games to develop income, is there any solution that could incorporate them? Like, for example, could you, within this, have a viable solution where there would be a playoff for the Six Nations and then they you kind of satisfy both kind of parties within this from a from a development perspective? I mean, if we, it's funny, isn't it? We look at this thing, we talk about, oh, it's the, uh, when this, this, this new one was, oh, it's Southern Hemisphere versus Northern Hemisphere yeah. split and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, no, it's not. It's Europe versus non-Europe because USA mm. are in the normal hemisphere. So are, so are Japan. So um, I don't know if you saw, there was, there, was a, there, was a, there was a clip, there was a major league rugby game at the weekend. Um, and you've got one, one game in lovely sunshine down um, in the Southern States. And then you've got another game um, in Utah played in snow and you're <laughs> yeah. kind of like okay we've got one in 30 degrees heat and one in snow so um in the same league so the yeah to try and say that they should be, they should play at the same time as the southern hemisphere just well does that work i don't know so we're definitely dealing with some very uh if we if we, if we were to start everything from scratch um i don't think we'd even have the six nations let's be honest but it's such a great tournament we don't want to get rid of it um i'll be honest i'm not a pro georgia person I think Georgia actually need to beat a tier one nation at least once in their life before they can actually claim to to require to, to need six nations um, level. Um, Fiji have beaten tier one nations. Uh, Japan have. Even the USA beat Scotland last last summer. Georgia has never in their history beaten a tier one nation, and they're ranking above. They they lost Italy in November. Yeah. Um, mm. Now, so I think they they've had their playoff. They lost it, and okay, it wasn't an official one. Um, but yeah, we do need a pathway of some sort to say how do tier two nations become tier one nations? Yeah. Um, and at the moment, there is no pathway. They 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 can there is no way they can actually ever progress. So we need a pathway of some sort in place. Um, now, how that works, uh, whether you have a, uh, a playoff or whether you have automatic promotion relegation, um, the problem with that obviously is your TV deals. If you sign a um, a six-year TV deal, and then Scotland gets relegated. Then, how do you? I mean, how do you, how do you how do you do that? I mean, for example, the Gallagher Premiership had, it, or the Viva Premiership at the time, had a deal to go over to the States and play a game in the USA for three years with London Irish, and then London Irish got relegated, and it was like, oops, okay, well that's out the door then. Um, so you have all you can put you put all these commercials in place, and then you find ah, suddenly they've gone. How do I now 
fund this or how do I now um, sort things out? It's not like a domestic league where it doesn't matter if, um, I don't know, if Man United or Man City are in the league, there's still people in the UK, it's still the same TV audience. Mm. So your commercials are fine. But if you're, um, when you're talking internationally, it becomes a different ballgame entirely. So, but yeah, there, there needs to be a pathway for tier two nations to become tier one nations. Lastly, just on ring fencing, on that pathway not existing at the moment, if this was to come to fruition and be it Fiji or the USA or whoever it might be, but it is ultimately a closed shop, you might not know this and we certainly don't, but we were speculating earlier, like, does this leave World Rugby open to, like, a legal challenge? I just don't know what their footing is on this, of just to say, right, this is us. I know we, we talked a little bit about you know, the ICC doing it in cricket and, you know, the, the Champions Trophy, which I don't think is what it was. But, you know, that was a almost a, you know, we're just going to have our own tournament. We don't need the likes of Ireland and Scotland and the Netherlands coming in and getting hammered in a World Cup. You know, it, it, you know, it's not as important. But I can't imagine that it's very legally sound to just say, right, here are the teams. They're all there to make money and you on the outside are never getting in. Um, I think... Legally, they can do if if they get enough votes by the in the council, they can do what they like. It's it's that's um, I don't think I don't think that legally they have to um, have to do that. Um, I think we're already seeing a resurgence in interest in um, well, I, I call it club rugby, but grassroots rugby because uh, in um, uh, here, here in New Zealand we've seen it in in uh, in Australia with with resurgence in the shoot shield. Uh, and so we're talking about the level now, not the level of Super Rugby, not the level of Maya 10 Cup, but the level beneath that. Um, and people are getting more interested in that level of rugby. So I think I think people might um, switch off from professional rugby and become more interested in, uh, in, in, in grassroots if they ring-fenced it and people saw it as being unfair. Well, it's interesting. Um, before we let you go, actually, we were going to talk a little bit about... Um, uh, the Crusaders and our own Ron Nogara over there and you know from what we're hearing making making uh, waves and you know there was even a, an article last week about him possibly joining the next All Blacks coaching team um, how are things going for Ogara over there? Ah, he's, he's, he's doing very well um, he's obviously in a, a very success he's joined a very successful setup he's fitted in very well uh, and uh, and yeah he seems to be enjoying it and they seem to be enjoying him so that all looks good as far as him joining the All Black setup, um, I think that was him fishing rather than, <laughs> uh, to be honest. Um, if, um, if 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 I were the All Blacks, would I want to invite? If, if I was New Zealand rugby, would I want to invite in the future Ireland head coach uh, to come in and have and, and learn all our secrets before going back to Ireland? I think not. So um, this is a professional well, you're talking about, Paul. How dare you question his <laughs> motives? <laughs> Oh no! Come on! No, his motives are, are about being as good as he can be. Don't get me wrong, um, and uh, so that, that's absolutely fine. But yeah, no, as a New Zealand rugby, I would not want to sell my secret sauce um, like that. So uh, maybe as head coach of um, the Crusaders, something we, we talked can... about actually, yeah, because the promotion system might leave a spot open there um, next season. It could be. I can't see. I, I don't think. I think Razor will will still be there. I, 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 Razor. I think Razor's younger than I am. Uh, so. He has got plenty of years left in him uh, to get to to this. If, if if he got the New Zealand job, he'd be in it for like twenty years. Um, the guy is, yeah. So I, I think it's a bit early for him to 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 get there and then go. Well, I've done everything I need to do by the age of forty. Yeah. What, what do I do with the rest of my life? Kind of thing. So, um, so give 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 him another World Cup cycle at um, at the Crusaders. Personally, I think so. I don't think he'll get. Um, I don't think he'll get it. Uh, Ian Foster, the incumbent, will get it. Sure, sure. That, that's definitely the, the top process. Well, listen, Paul, thanks so much for, for uh, joining us. It was a great talk with you. People can read your work on um, at Driving Mall at, on Twitter and um, and various places around the internet. I said that the, the place that um, uh, is the World League worth it is definitely worth a, a shout on um, therunnersports.com. Really good explainer as to everything that's going on here. But thanks so much for joining us. Thank you much. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be back soon. Great stuff. Thanks so much, Paul. Um, look, we'll talk about this again. I think we're going to probably try and, and, and touch base with the Pacific Islanders, but yeah. it, it's a whole mess that um, that we'll get into again because I don't think this is a one-week story, really, unfortunately. But 
we do have to move on now because the Six Nations is back this weekend. It's the final run now. We've got the two weekends in a row. Ireland have two games in six, de- six days to turn around our season heading into the World Cup. Would you believe we'd been saying that a month ago? Um, but France coming to town and Ireland didn't play well against them last year. Let's not forget in our borderline perfect 2018 the worst performance was probably against France yeah. in that first match in the Six Nations and we were rescued by a miracle uh, drop goal but you know things are a little bit different now and we did beat them quite handily maybe it was, I think it was 19-9 in the Aviva I was at that game a couple of years ago and I remember just it was just like a solid fairly easy win for Ireland like is it always in control just about got the job done did everything they needed to do so you know um It'll be good to get a win back under uh, at home, given what happened um, when England came to town a couple of months ago, or about a month ago now. But Ireland haven't been playing well. We've talked about it ad nauseum at length. You've been having a look at Joe Schmidt's options this week, and you're going to pick a team, the team you would like to see, not necessarily the team he will pick. It's not a prediction. What have you gone with? Yeah, so um, we, this, we're doing this team on Tuesday, so we don't have a full squad date about certain players, are they fit or not, but this is based on the assumption that they will be fit. Yeah. So for the back three, Rob Carney, a fullback, Keith Ayers and Jacob Stockdale on the wings, there's no great surprises there. Nope. In the centre, I think Gary Ringrose and Robbie Henshaw should start. It's a, probably our best centre partnership. Bundiaki took his head knock against Italy. In lieu of that, I think you give the two of them as much game time as possible together. Yeah. And with Ringrose, we think Ringrose will be back. It looks like he will. Um, I think Henshaw is back training today, building up towards Friday. So... The two of them together, I think, is, is what you go with there. Sexton and Murray, again, I don't think there's uh, any great need to elaborate on that. For the... Okay, so just to clarify this before I get into it. The back three, we think CJ Sander and Dan Levy will be back fit. If they are, I think they should both come into the team. Um, the, one of Ireland's main... What they want is not necessarily quick ball, but control of their own ball. And they're losing the breakdown battle. They're not, that hasn't been something that's gone well for us. And a guy like Dan Levy nearly guarantees that. So in this scenario, I know like you might talk about fitness and stuff. He's demonstrated in the past that he can come back in off yeah. injury and slot straight away in. And based off that, I think because of the struggle that we've had there, that I know that's harsh on Sean O'Brien, but I, I genuinely believe that given what Dan Levy offers there it's like it's like another dimension to a seven in terms of what he does at the breakdown and then somebody like CJ Sander when we're struggling with go forward ball already mm. like the we've seen the carries to meters ratios of some players this year has been kind of appalling so the two of them I think in, in this circumstances are two that you do bring back in O'Brien as the back row yeah, replacement exactly okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, second this is another big call but uh, on that team on the breakdown I think James Ryan will obviously start. I think Ty Burns should start with him. Uh, Ian Henderson probably will, I would I would imagine. Yeah. But in terms of what Ty Burns offers as a... There's not a better poacher in Europe in terms of what he does as a jackal and his ability. So if we are looking to control our own possession and we could starve them of it by his ability to jackal. And friends are so erratic in terms of their commitments to breakdowns. Like sometimes they might have four at a rook, other time it might only be one. And his timing is so impeccable based off that, that him with O'Mahony could pose real questions defensively of, of France. So I, I, I think come back in. The only problem then is if he does come back in, and he won't come back in, but if he did, <laughs> uh, who would call the lineouts? Because that would probably put the onus on. Like, so Quinn Roo was doing it, and then Devin Horner was doing it. I don't think. J- I'm got, yeah, I, you're saying Quinn Roo there, like he has no chance of starting. If the team comes out on Friday and Quinn Rue is named alongside James Ryan, I'm not gonna be. I won't be one bit surprised. Yeah, not one bit surprised. Just given his performances the last couple of days, he's the man with the shirt. Joe seems to have a hierarchy. You would have thought Henderson would come in and play against Italy yeah. on his first game back. You would have thought Byrne would be promoted. He went with Rue and Delan, who were the next two down before they those two got injured. Once he gave James Ryan the rest. I just wouldn't be surprised now at all. And and in fairness to Quinn Rue, he has played well. He's not going to give you the dynamism of those other two players, but he can call a line out and we don't have Devin Toner there and we've seen what's happened when Ireland haven't had that line out general, I suppose, yeah. for want of a better word, in the past. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think Quinn Rue, like Quinn Rue is definitely underappreciated in a lot of ways in terms of what he does at the breakdown and also just like really simple things like in a, controlling a mall or even countering a mall, that kind of like kind of benign but you know the, a lock spread and butter he offers a lot in in that regard i just think that given the issues that Ireland rugby has going into this game that somebody like terry Byrne is 
worth kind of like I don't think you're sacrificing anything by including Ryan in a lineout, but I do think you're sacrificing stuff elsewhere by not playing him in the team, which I guess is. But I burn uh, you mean? Sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'd agree with you. I'm just I'm more kind of changing it going from your opinion to a prediction, a prediction yeah. in yeah. a way. I I wouldn't predict that he's going to play, but it's not going to surprise me in the least, you know. But I, I look, I think the whole country wants to see Ty Burn starting for Ireland at this stage. He's been man of the match in nearly every monster game he's played this year. Um, I think it's unfortunate for Henderson, who's kind of waited patiently for his turn for a long time, yeah. and then James Ryan comes out of nowhere, and now Ty Burns come out of nowhere. But at the same time, he's the player in form, and is the player that we'd like. I think would want to see there. Yeah, uh, I think you just go back to your number front row of Ty Furlong, Roy Best, and Keen Healy. Um, so the backup for them would be Kilcoyne, Scannell, I think, and Porter. Um, Henderson, O'Brien, Cooney, Carty, and Lamar. So the rest of those. So are, Sean Cronin is missing out. Yeah, I I think he'll pay. Um, he'll pay because of what happens last time out. I like it's funny. I was reading. Um, Paul O'Connell gave an interview in the Sunday Independent where he spoke about uh the idea of a lineup. It's only a lock who will realize that it's not the hooker's fault. Like somebody else is missing their cue or it's being badly called. So you saw that we spoke about this last week. The amount of times they threw to Peter O'Mahony in the second half, the amount of times that Furlong was lifting in the first, you go back to your kind of reliances to try and steady ship. But in saying that, I just think that Cronin has had two starts for Ireland in the last year and both times he hasn't performed. And I, a man as, as rootless as Joe Smith, I actually think it's probably fair enough that like I'm a huge Sean Cronin fan. I think he's mm. been amazing for Leinster this year. But I think Scanlon probably is worthy of his chance there, and you can't afford that kind of um, inaccuracy in a lineup right now. Yeah. Okay. Do you think we'll beat France? Yeah, I do. Br- at uh, least bring it to Cardiff then uh, with a chance. I, I do. I think the France on the road are a different proposition to the France with there. I also think the French tendency to kind of fade that we've seen recently, especially against Wales, will really see with Ireland, the team that generally have fought back into games like they did against Italy last week, that have yeah. demonstrated their kind of phenomenal fitness already so I, I i wouldn't be surprised if it's competitive for the first half but uh, as the second half goes on i would expect them to cut a bit loose so it'll give us a story going into cardiff at least but is the main story going to be wales uh fighting for a grand slam they have to go to edinburgh it's not always been the easiest place for them to go it's a great occasion always there's something just really really five slash six nations that defining about wales versus scotland for me anyway especially in murrayfield with the anthems and everything, um, but Scotland have been so poor and it's like getting worse as the tournament goes yeah. on as well. They 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 don't, don't they can't see, do anything. I don't see how well. they recover from the the main difficulty for Scotland was the amount of injuries they were hit with at the start of the tournament to really key players and the likes of you know Denton and Hamish Watson and these players haven't come back yet. So yeah, the, the, Hulk, yeah, of course, yeah, <laughs> one yeah of the best exactly, players in the yeah. world. Yeah. So um, that based off that, I know Finn Russell played at the weekend, so he's back, which is massive for them. Um, I think. Uh, Hastings looked good off the bench so if he didn't start they'd probably hit him but that kind of stuff is big but I would still fully expect Wales to I still think they're going to win the Grand Slam I mean I just don't see I don't see us beating them either even yeah I don't think so I mean I don't know like the that last game would be a thriller if it does come to that and I think it'd be come down to fine margins but uh, I think this has been a a Grand Slam has been something that Gatlin has earmarked from a long way out and he even said it himself that if they beat France that they'd probably set it up and I would kind of lean towards him doing that, yeah. Okay, and finally, what amazing plan will Conor O'Shea have waiting for uh, his trip to Twickenham this time? Yeah, I can't wait. I you think I, you I, honestly think I, he's going to come up with something, I, I, don't you? It, it might be something very, very subtle, but I, yeah. I, there, will, there will be... I hope it's not subtle. I hope it's completely game changing uh, uh, and the whole Twitter explodes. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced of this. That he's going to play the backs and the forwards <laughs> and the forwards <laughs> and the backs. I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced of the idea that he, uh, he's altering really, really slowly game on game. Like I, I actually think the he against Ireland decided that he wasn't. He was going to put nobody into rocks, and that's why their nine to Bali was able to steal through Murray because there's nobody in his way you know he yeah. just ran through and just was able to pickpocket him like that because so I, I, I'm I fully believe that the, he's doing some so kind of variations game on game I don't have enough evidence to prove that yeah. point but uh, this weekend I think we'll see something definitely yeah. Yeah. and they'll lose by 25 points if they're lucky <laughs> yeah. but that's just because England they're gonna get England they're gonna 
take it out on on Italy and Scotland what happened to them in Cardiff I yeah, think and also I think England are very conscious I mean they're obviously very conscious that they need bonus point wins to yeah. try and um, try and secure the tournament right now yeah yeah. if Ireland can do a job in Cardiff um, that's it but there is actually uh, that's it for the senior men's Six Nations but the Ireland under 20s are the team that we should nearly be watching at the moment and you know um We'll have someone down there on, on, on Friday night in Cork because I was there for the England game and it was an amazing occasion as well. And that's just something that if they get the same kind of crowd out there this time and they're three for three, there's a real chance of a Grand Slam in this team. I think they'll beat France on, on Friday night and go over to Cardiff, to, to or go, it won't be in Cardiff, go over to Wales to, to win that Grand Slam would be an amazing achievement. But they're a team worth watching. It's on TV on Friday night and if you can watch it, there are players there that you'll remember and you'll be talking about in two or three years because that's a good team. Yeah, big time. And even the, I was just looking at it last weekend, like you guys got like Sean French who is racking up prize in the AIL and is not starting for, he came on, I know, and uh, was really impressive that night down in Cork actually when mm. he came on at the end there. But um, like there's a coast of players here who you will one day say, oh, I remember watching him play in under 20s. Yeah. And uh, that even... I mean, without putting focus on players, you've also got an up-and-coming coaching panel who are very highly regarded. A guy like Noel McNamara, who yeah. did really impressive stuff at Leinster, um, but there in terms of player welfare, Max McFarland, who, by the way, scored a sensational try yesterday against Fiji. I feel like two, two sidesteps. For the Scotland feel, feel like try, Yeah, in Las Vegas, as, okay. he, as he mentioned to us. Uh, that's worth checking out. It was amazing. Like Two sidesteps, feeling try. Basically fell over his own try length at the other end of the field. He was so tired, but it was just... When we spoke about this guy having pace, this is the yeah. first time where you have fully learned to appreciate it. We'll tweet out a link after the show, and sure. you can check it on balls.ie because if you if you have the if you can get that try, but um, I haven't seen that. I oh, definitely want to see yeah, Max in action. <laughs> yeah. The the one that got away for uh, Irish sevens rugby, but uh, sure, good luck to Scotland and uh, <laughs> and their, their rise to the sevens ranks thanks to their uh, sneaky little Irish winger. Um, Max McFarland that's great news um, so best luck to the Ireland under 20s and indeed even the Irish senior teams and of course the Irish women as well all, all taking on France this weekend and good luck to, to everybody playing the great worldwide game of rugby which will soon only be 12 countries not including the 12 best teams uh, once world <laughs> rugby has their way but We'll talk about that again. We'll talk about that again next time. We'll talk to you next Tuesday when we'll be reflecting on uh, the weekend Six Nations. Talk to you then.